podcast where we explain bands. I'm your host, Olivia Ladd. In this podcast, I choose someone from the Nashville music scene, we pick a cult band, and then go into the history and context surrounding that band. Bandsplainer is part of the We Own This Town network of podcasts based here in Nashville, Tennessee. Bandsplainer is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Follow Bandsplainer on Twitter or head to bandsplainer.show to keep up with new episodes. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Bandsplainer, the podcast where we explain bands, and today we're going to talk about the Brian Jonestown Massacre, and our guest is John Condit, and you can go ahead and introduce yourself, talk about what you do around Nashville with music, all that stuff. All right. Uh, well, my name is John. I front a band in town called The Inscape. Um, I also play guitar for an artist named Lily Hyatt, and uh, I am one of the original founders of the Nashville Cycle Hands. Which is how we met. I forgot about that. I yes. like, wrote a story about that. Cool. So I'm like super excited to talk about the Brian Jonestown Massacre because this is like one of my favorite bands of all time. Judge me or not, whatever. But uh, this is also one of the bands that like when I started this podcast, this was one of the bands that I like really wanted to explain to people and was kind of one of the ones that made me want to do this in the first place. So loosely, a synopsis here is that this band is a psych rock band, but they're they're a lot more than that. And they started in San Francisco in the early 90s, like 1990, 1993. They were forming and starting music. And I think the beauty of this band, before we like get into the nitty gritty, is that they're so fluid genre-wise. They've made rock music, jazz music, electronic, psychedelic, shoegaze, like blues, roots music, dream pop, prog rock, lo-fi, hi-fi, world world music, like Eastern music. Uh, they've had like Spanish music influences, experimental. It's just, it's a lot of different things. So this band, like a lot of other bands we've done, has multiple entry points. Like kind of literally all of their albums sound different. They all have kind of a kind of an overarching theme or like signature sound, but they're all kind of a different genre, uh, which is what I love about them. So you can't really say, you can't really listen to one album and be like, I do or don't like their sound. I think there's something for everyone here, uh, whether or not you're really into the psychedelic genre loosely, you know, that can describe a lot of things, but um, that's, that's kind of what's interesting about it, I would say. Absolutely. So I don't have an exact number so i'm not sure these are correct but from what i counted from what i've done research they have 18 studio albums 15 ish eps and four live albums so this band has been going i mean like we said since the early 90s so they have like a lot to unpack here when we've done other bands in the past they've had like you know four albums we just go through all of them whatever this one we'll probably like kind of skip around talk about the important ones so the main person that is the brian jones town massacre is anton newcomb and when they founded it matt hollywood ricky maney and joel gian gian uh were the members but the only two you really need to remember are matt and joel 
uh, Joel is really the only other member that has, even though he's left the band during a couple tours or whatever, which we will get into later, there is good reason for that. Uh, he's the only, like, long-time member uh, that has stayed in the band the whole, like, two and a half decade or three decades, I guess, at this point. And he's a tambourine player, so that's an interesting tidbit that he, uh, Anton Newcomb, is infamously horrible to get along with. He's kind of, like, crazy, and we will talk about all those things, but <laughs> there's a reason that the tambourine player is the only member that has been able to work with him for that long. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just funny to think about. Well, and Joel might not even record the tambourine on some albums. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know. I know he, like, tours with him, live. but he, yeah. Because Anton also, like, like I said, they have, like, 15-plus EPs, and he's always just recording music. Like, if you follow him... They're still active, let's, like, say that, too. So they're still active. If you follow him on, like, Twitter and stuff, he's always just, like, recording stuff. Like, he'll be, like, just recorded four songs, like, going... He has, yeah. like, a home studio. So there's kind of limitless kind of music out there from this band. So sometimes he records all the instruments on a project, and he's always just putting out stuff on, like, YouTube as well, which I don't really have all of that listed because it's like impossible to track like the there's volume. so much stuff and yeah. then there's there's even like weird you know uh international websites that he yeah. has like, he does a thing called dead tv yeah i don't know if you've ever tuned into yeah. that um and he even like apparently in europe where he now lives they started in san francisco he's kind of been around the block but in around you know the 2000s he moved to berlin he chilled out uh, which we'll get into, but he, like, has a home studio, and he kind of does everything there in Berlin, Germany. Apparently, he'll, like, put stuff, he'll, like, record stuff straight to tape or vinyl and kind of just drop it off somewhere, and then people <laughs> can, like, get it. And it's, like, how many of those are out there? I don't know. Um, there's, you know, a lot going on. So, I guess we can get started kind of loosely going through discography and stuff. So, these are, like, young young guys in the music scene in San Francisco, and in the 90s, there is this wave of just, like, uh, just a lot of things going on with, like, American rock as a canon. And, like, Southern California, the psychedelic scene was growing quite a bit. So they were kind of, like, these pioneers in that. And, you know, say what you will about the band, but they really did kind of uh, influence a lot of other bands and kind of help create that scene. So Yeah, a lot of modern psych, for sure. Yeah. I mean, San Francisco infamously was always a famous hub of psychedelia yeah. so 1993 they kind of released their first uh their first like release whatever however you track that uh but it was called space girl and other favorites and it was kind of just a collection of all the stuff he had done up to that point with the members once they kind of got a solid lineup started playing shows whatever but their first like real record was 1995 and it's called methadrone like i guess it's um a play on methadone and drone music, and it's a shoegaze record, very clever, whatever. Um, <laughs> so that's that's their first one, and it's really interesting because most of their stuff doesn't sound like that after that. Yeah. Um, so it's a really interesting starting point, but it's a really great record. It's actually like listed a lot of places as like a you know one of the most famous shoegaze records or whatever. I guess we can go into this one a little bit. I don't know. Do you have any, like, favorite songs or comments on this one? Oh, I mean, I, I love Methadrone. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a fantastic album. Yeah. Um, I, I think w She Wants Me. 
Yeah, uh, that one's good, and I Love You. I really like that song. It's a great it's song. Very, like, uh, it's very chill. I feel like all of these, to me, I think the reason I like this band is because, for me, even though it's so complex and stuff, it's just, like, enjoyable to listen to. Like, I can just put it on. Like, there's kind of an album for every mood. Like, you can be at Absolutely. a party. You can be alone in your room in the dark. You can, like, be just hanging out with friends. You can be driving, whatever. There's a record. And this one is just, like, very, like... Like, just chill. It's, like, a good, like, shoegaze record. Yeah. Um, Anton Newcomb has always kind of been a fan. He later, you know, talks about his love for, like, My Bloody Valentine, and we'll talk about My Bloody Underground, that record. But, like, he, he really latched on to that scene as well. So that also kind of goes to kind of like goes to say a lot about like psych as a genre how you can't really define it whatever it's just like For expansive sure. music so it's kind of cool that they did the shoegaze uh thing this is like mid 90s they were playing a lot of shows with the dandy warhols which we can't talk about the brian jones home Massacre without mentioning them so they were playing a lot of shows with this band and kind of traveling around like between portland southern california all that kind of stuff Oh, one thing to mention is the band's name. So also, so this band, I feel like it has a very off-putting name. Like when I'm playing the song or like I'm in the car or something and I play a Brian Jones song Massacre song, people are like, oh, cool. Like, what's this band? I'm like the Brian Jones song Massacre. And they're like, what? Like, that's weird. And it kind of is like, a, it's a crazy name, but it's after uh, obviously the Jonestown Massacre and the Rolling Stones guitarist, Brian Jones, who Anton Newcomb, like, that's like his favorite dude i guess so. well it's it's said that actually brian jones visited anton oh really in a dream okay yeah. okay yeah and yeah. so he's had he's had some spiritual um <laughs> meetups with brian jones interesting and there's actually a lot of if you have a lot of brian jonestown massacre records there's actually a lot of fun little like quotes from anton or little tidbits of stories on on the records that's cool. I didn't know that. I actually only own a couple of these on vinyl, unfortunately, but that's that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so that kind of can go into, I guess, just talking about Anton for a second. So the reason this band kind of came into like the, you know, like mainstream as far as people who are like into music, whatever. And I think why they're still so popular with like people like me who are like maybe younger and weren't around when they were like, you know, really big in the scene is that there's this documentary called Dig, and it's made by Courtney Taylor from the Dandy Warhols, which we'll, you know, get into them. But um, that's just like a, that was kind of my first introduction to like who Anton is as a person, I think for a lot of people. And that's just kind of like the thing about this band is he, he is a creative genius. He's like an amazing musician, but he's like crazy, you know, I don't want to use that word, but he's like kind of crazy. He's dealt with like drug addiction, whatever, and he's kind of famous for during live shows, like causing a scene like ending the show early firing people from the band on stage stuff like that and so he also is very into like spirituality kind of like eastern spirituality and he wears like prayer beads and has like uh you know wears like tunics and stuff like that and he's um, an eccentric person he's a very eccentric person he's yes. a very interesting person but that kind of makes his music even more interesting because you couldn't get this from someone anyone who's well adjusted would not be making 18 albums well of course a different genre so that's <laughs> uh, kind of the beauty of it but he's he's crazy so they really kind of get into their stride in 1996 and they released three albums this year 
so this is really interesting that this band released three albums of varying genre, you know, within a few months of each other. So it's uh, Take It From The Man, Their Satanic Majesty's Second Request, and Thank God For Mental Illness. So the first one, Take It From The Man, is a Britpop record, but obviously none of them are British. Pitchfork actually named it in their top 10 best Britpop albums that aren't British. But it, it definitely pulls on, like, the tropes of, like, the basis of blues rock, whatever, into a pop format that, you know, is a British invasion sound. But it's it's a little weirder, a little more experimental. These three, I think, maybe maybe just the first two, Take It From The Man and Their Satanic Majesty's Second Request, are probably the most, like, well-known or most, like, on-brand that people would probably know from this band if you have heard of them. And the second one, Their Satanic Majesty's Second Request, is named after the Rolling Stone album, Their Satanic Majesty's Request. And it's it's 60s psych sounding, and it's a really beautiful record. Yeah. And their most popular song, Anemone, which is on like a lot of like TV soundtracks and movie soundtracks and stuff like that. And it's a... Uh, I feel like I feel like it gets thrown into the mix with like a lot of '90s rock stuff. Uh, that's on this record, and that's still, even though it's their most popular song, like it's a, it's a great song. It's popular for good reason. I could listen to that song every day. I probably do, and it never gets old. Um, <laughs> yeah. So same. Um, I was and, listening to it the other day. Yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs> it's just good. It's like it's um it's really interesting, and that song specifically is actually one of. Uh, I remember when Anthony Bourdain died found like an article that was like his favorite music and he's always like had great music like on parts unknown like everything from like johnny thunders to like these underground bands in seattle or whatever but anemone is was anthony bourdain's like number one favorite song of all time and he wrote an article in like 2011 for rolling stone and he said uh when he heard the song, the way he described it was, it was drenched in opiates and regret. I heard the song once and became besotted by it. It sounds like lost love, past lives, unforgiven mistakes, and transgressions. And in a way, it does. It's a heavy song, but it's also very, like, if you're not paying attention to the lyrics or something, it's just a very enjoyable, like, psychedelic, like, groovy sure. song. It's really, it's just so good. Well, there's so even good. a uh, section of Parts Unknown where... Anton is in it and cooks Anthony dinner. Yeah, when he's in Berlin. That's and a it's, fun YouTube search it, for yeah, you all out it's, there. If, uh, if it's really interesting. You're curious. Um, to, to see those two people have a conversation. Um, yeah, it's kind of wild. And I remember in that YouTube clip, actually, I think Anton was talking about like how the reason he loves Berlin so much is like, you know, not that he's like a famous figure, but he, you know, he, he was like infamous in the San Francisco and he's like in Berlin, no one knows who I am. I like have a kid. I like make my music in my basement. I cook for people, whatever. And like, uh, Anthony Bourdain had one of those like light bulb moments. Like he always does in that show where he was just like, wow, that must be nice to like not have no one know who you are or whatever. And it was just kind of like, wow, like kind of like hit me when I watched that. So that same year, they also released Thank God for Mental Illness which is like totally on the other side of the coin it's like a rootsy kind of record i don't know that i would say it's all like acoustic country but yeah it's like acoustic very dylan-esque um that so, record's especially heavy yeah um, yeah and it's also that record's really cool like another little anecdote on the album is uh that whole album was made for like ten dollars and 73 cents Oh wow! Yeah, wow, and that's it, crazy. And it says on the back, he says, you know, this record was made for ten seventy three, and if you can't dig it, well, 
F off, you know. Can we cuss? Can we cuss on here? Yeah, yeah. yeah he says, "Well, cuss. fuck you." Yeah, yeah, um. yeah. So that's also kind of his attitude to music, and I think that's so that's such a good way to go about your art because it's punk rock. I, it is punk rock. It's more punk rock than than a lot of punk rock. But like, I get nowadays, like you do have to brand things and whatever. But like this guy, he's so eccentric. He's so like creative that he just makes music for the sake of like, he has to just make this music and he's just making records. That's his job. That's his life. And he doesn't really care what you think as uh, displayed by his live shows. He's like, I don't care what you think about me. I'm going to like do my thing. Yeah. So. I mean, I always view Anton as a, a really, I mean, he's always an interesting um, influence. Yeah. Like even I don't know if you've ever heard the story of like some of the first Brian Jonestown Massacre shows, how they promoted them. Pretty cool stories. Um, I don't know that I've heard of that. So like one of the, like one of the first Brian Jonestown Massacre shows ever in San Francisco, they put posters up all over. So San Francisco, the city is only seven miles square. It's really small, but it's very dense, and they put posters all around town saying, take acid and go see the Brian Jones Town Massacre. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> and then a week later, in the same spots, the posters got replaced saying, take acid now and go see the Brian Jones Town Massacre on Saturday. And then they had, <laughs> they had stapled little baggies with strips of paper, not dosed or anything, yeah. to the posters. Oh, wow. And then... On the 7 o'clock news on Wednesday or whatever, what pops on screen but the Brian Johnstown Massacre poster saying the children of San Francisco are back to their hippie roots, dropping acid. And there's the poster saying take acid now and go see the Brian Johnstown Massacre on Saturday. What happens on Saturday? The show's sold out. Yeah, that's genius. It's amazing. It really is. It's brilliant. Wow. Like, I didn't know that. That's crazy. That- that's so genius. Like, yeah. He knows what he's doing. I mean, he's he's wild. But you like, got to have fun with yeah, people. It's shock factor for sure. And that also gets you like the audience you want right there. So that's wow. That's that's wild. That kind of says it all. So they also were they did get really big in San Fran and were playing all these shows. People were coming out. And I remember I think it was a complex magazine some or paper magazine some editor said that he saw them like around 96 and said they were just a pastiche of everything he was like they were just like so much I couldn't soak it all in and it was just like I was hearing everything so they had a lot of A&R people coming out at this time and in 1997 they signed to TTV records and that didn't last super long but um you know they did that and they put out in 1998 strung out in heaven and the album didn't sell well. It kind of dissolved their contract also because Anton was, like, horrible to work with and wasn't showing up to meetings or was, like, being bad at meetings. But I think he kind of sabotaged that on purpose because he just wanted to be his own creative director in a way. Yeah. But Strung Out in Heaven is a really good record, I think. It's definitely the most 90s rock record. It kind of is similar to, like, 
maybe even like Mazzy Star kind of stuff I like, like that. I like that record a lot. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's really good. It's the just song like Dawn is just Oh, so Going to Hell, the first song off this oh, record yeah. is actually in Buffy the Vampire Slayer when they are going descending into hell. So oh, really? I love that because I love that show. But I really like uh the song like Maybe Tomorrow. There's a lot of good ones on here. Oh, um, I know it's fantastic. Got my eye on you. Yeah, it's just like a really fun Let's pretend fast that it's paced. Summer. Oh, yeah. That one's like real yeah, I feel like I'm just like in a meadow or something when I'm listening to that one so this is actually a really good record i think maybe i don't know i wasn't really around but i was like two years old when this record came out but <laughs> i think now it might be a little more popular like i feel like i see a lot of people on like twitter and stuff kind of talking about this one and i i don't know i really i really like it this is one i kind of got into retrospectively after i was like really into the band for sure so they kind of dissolve the the ttv contract didn't work out and so Witch Records put out like an EP in 99 called Bringing It All Back Home Again, um, which is a homage to Bob Dylan, obviously. And interestingly enough, I've talked to multiple people who said this is how they got into the Brian Johnson massacre. Really? Yeah. And I think that's weird. And I guess... I think that maybe is kind of a Nashville angle on that one because people are like, oh, that's like, gotta be. Yeah, because <laughs> I've talked to people. I've been like, oh, like this is like my favorite band, whatever, and they're like, oh, that guy who sounds like Bob Dylan. I'm like, really? That's really the one thing you picked out from that. Wow. Um, there you go, Nashville. <laughs> yeah, honest. I mean, for better or worse, you know. But we got um, you. <laughs> it is. It is interesting. I remember kind of listening to this after I'd been into the heavy psych stuff, and I was like, he really is this really like adaptable musician you know I mean, he's a great um, songwriter through and through he really is he's a wonderful songwriter i really think he's like one of the best uh just like career musicians of the past few decades and um i feel like it because of his like eccentricity and craziness whatever that kind of gets like put on the back burner but i don't know i really believe that i really think he's great and also in the 90s, they toured, so they not only toured with Dandy Warhols, but they were touring with, like, Oasis and, like, all of these crazy bands. And just, like, an inside on, like, what they were like to tour with, apparently. I saw the Brian Jones Town Massacre, I've seen them twice, and they played in Mercy Lounge in, like, 2015. And I, like, remember going to the show, knowing this was one of my favorite bands. I was, like, doing college radio, playing them all the time. And I was, like, I'm going to go to the show alone and make so many friends. And then I was, like, the only 19-year-old at the show. (laughs) And I was, like, okay, never mind. But so, anyway, he's being horrible at the show. Like, he has a lot of shows. And he was, like, someone get me a beer on stage. Like, he made – someone, like, broke a string on their guitar. And instead of just handing them – another guitar they picked up a guitar and he's like you can't play the same guitar as me restring your guitar and we're gonna make the whole audience wait on you anyway (laughs) so back to the oasis (laughs) thing he during while that guy was restringing his guitar he's like let me tell you a funny story when we were in the 90s touring with oasis um joel and i were into meth at the time and we (laughs) we went on the tour bus and we were doing it and noel or liam gallagher one of the gallagher brothers was like i want some and they were like no dude you can't handle it and then joel was like no no let him have some and apparently it kept him awake for like three days straight and they quit the tour after that oh wow yeah so that's uh i guess that's what it's like to um to be around them i think at that time i he settled down now but there was a lot of uh as documented in the in the movie, there was a lot of uh, substance abuse, which it, oh, yeah. it happens with a lot of these bands we talk about. But uh, he really took it to an extreme, I believe. So I don't think that he was a fun person to be around then. 
during this time, too, the reason I haven't gone super into, like, the other members is because they are literally swapping out members every album cycle, kind of because of stories like that, I believe. So 2001, they kind of formed their own label committee collective thing called the Committee to Keep Music Evil. Um, Keep Music Evil. And it was around until until recently, somewhat active. It's still around. Recently, yeah. And so they released Bravery, Repetition, and Noise. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a pretty good, pretty good record. And then 2003, so we're kind of getting into a new era for the band. In 2003, they released And This Is Our Music. And this is their first delve into, like, electronic music as a band, Mm -hmm. which which is interesting. Yeah, Anton was toying with a lot of uh, themes of European electronic music and dance music, and there's a there's a fair amount of EPs from around that time. Yeah, there um, are. Yeah, I didn't list Sergeant all Peppers, the EPs, but yeah, Smoking Acid. Oh yeah, Smoking Acid. I would like to kind of go into Smoking Acid is my, I think my favorite EP. It's totally. Uh, wild it's, it's, it's a out lot. there <laughs> it's yeah. out there um but it is very electronic driven and it's it's kind of like prog rock electronic i maybe i would say sure my favorite song off of that one is um let's see here don't smoke acid <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably don't do that don't That's do probably not don't do that advice. don't listen to what he tells you to do it's just an album um, people <laughs> um yeah the serious matter and then tempo 116.7 there's like two versions of that song but clean acid dirty beats it's just like so good it's just these like super driving beats it's super fun yeah yeah it's really interesting i think my favorite song is uh what is it take the head of paul mccartney and yeah bring me the head of paul mccartney that ep (laughs) is good yeah and so it's just all these like crazy names too which like makes me love it even even more because it's just so like on brand but i feel like some of that for people who aren't maybe necessarily into like psych stuff first um it is off-putting, I guess, because, like, I got into this band, and I was already into, like, I was very young, on you know, doing college radio, and I, the first song I heard from this band was Cold to the Touch. Okay. Which is kind of interesting, because that's more of a lyrical song, and I sure. like the lyrics, but then I, like, found his other stuff. So I think through that, I was already into kind of old psych, like, West Coast pop art experimental band, and, like, all mm-hmm. this, like, 60s stuff, um, and then got into, like, newer psych, psychic ills whatever through that but i think for people who maybe aren't into psych stuff like smoking acid who killed sergeant pepper bring me the head of paul mccartney it's a little it's a little off-putting i get it (laughs) you know so 2008 they did a really interesting record that uh when i first got in this band really uh kind of turned me on to them so it's called my bloody underground and it's a album made in the style of both my bloody valentine and velvet underground which like I couldn't ask for more from a record. That's no. like Velvet Underground's like my favorite band of all time. My Buddy Valentine's one of my favorites. And Mark Gardiner of Ride wrote a lot of the songs and like collaborated on this one, which is really cool. I like Ride too. I saw them a couple years ago. It was very, uh, it was very loud. So that's, that's all I have to say about that one. So like, yeah, it's, uh, around this time they also released Who Killed Sgt. Pepper and a lot of it was recorded in Iceland, and there's some mm-hmm. Icelandic songs on it. And yeah. like, what band? What other band do you know that has Icelandic music? You know, not not many. Other than uh, other Icelandic bands, but. but yeah, you know, like in yeah. Well, like, that's a. <laughs> I mean, I think Anton was on the forefront of that, though, having 
bringing in international artists and trying to m- maybe bridge the gap a little bit of uh, and change the norms of what they think American music should sound like. Oh, I think so for like, sure like because it even... could be an American an American performer, but why not have someone singing in Icelandic? Yeah, you know? I think so because even when you go back to. Uh, uh, like 96 like their satanic majesty stuff he's putting like sitar and all these like interesting instruments that weren't necessarily being used in american psych music you know it doesn't have to be guitar driven it can be electronic before that was a big deal or it can be in other languages or have elements of like spanish music and eastern music and uh things like that in it sitars and whatnot were being used back in yeah. the 60s but bringing them back yeah, for yeah, sure yeah, especially into- the modern out days. of the the cocaine haze of synthesizers and <laughs> yeah. gated reverb snares and all that it was a, kind of a refresh to people that yeah. go oh i remember the beatles yeah you know? <laughs> and i think it's also yeah there's something to be said about that too because like now you know in 2019 like especially even in nashville there's a ton of 60s revival stuff and i'm here for it like i it's like my favorite kind of stuff to listen to but like in the 90s it kind of was it was coming out of that like type of music and bringing back the 60s and then like totally turning it on its head and reinventing it yeah super cool so in 2012, they released one called Off Heap Off Offbin. Off okay, yeah. It, um, it essentially means it's it's to, to in order to save something beautiful, you have to destroy it. Oh wow, that's interesting. It's a concept that. from a I want to say a German author. Yeah. Don't quote me on yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that's um, really cool though. Um, this one is very heavily, you know, like foreign sounding psychedelic. Um, and that actually features a return of Matt Hollywood, who yes. had been gone yes. for. Is he in the band now? No. No, not anymore. Okay. No. Yeah. He has his own band. Okay. Well, eh, probably probably good for. Him. And I saw them. They, they he'll really? play Satellite. Mm-hmm. He'll play his songs that he wrote. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And then 2014, and this is the year I got into the band, which is very late, but that's like when I was in college. It's never into the too band. late. True. They released a song called Revel or a record called Revelation, and this was the first record that was recorded in Berlin in his home studio. I love that album. I love that album too. It's, it's like it, one of my favorites. It might be one of though, my favorites. Yeah, I think too. it's like in my top, probably top three or something. The song "Food for Clouds" is like. Ever, like literally since 2014 it's been one of my top stream songs on Spotify like every mm-hmm. year it's just so good it's so good I just love that sound it's like it's just this like haunting kind of like jangly riff almost on there that just like I, I could listen to it over and over it's like addictingly good it's so good and this record it uh, has a nice flow to it it's um it's like fast paced where it needs to be it kind of goes in and out it's really it's a really really wonderful record well it kind of showcases the the best of i i i think that record's really cool because it shows a kind of culmination of of the Brian Jones Tamasker as a whole yeah yeah so like the first song it's a it's a foreign singer um, I think he's singing in Swedish. Um, and then it showcases, you know, some of Anton's more songwritery type of songs while also mixing in a lot of that classic, you know, 60s Brian Jonestown Massacre sound that people grew to know, know and love. 
Yeah. And I think that, yeah, because it's like he's at a point at his career where he's done all these different experimental things, and that record really does like tie yeah. it all in. And uh, I think it kind of... Maybe he had a revelation about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and this one definitely kind of revitalized, I think, his fan base just because a lot of people, I think a lot of people my age, um, like younger millennials, definitely have this big appreciation for kind of revitalized older sounding music whatever and i think uh i know when i was in college a lot of people got into this record and that's how i this became like one of my favorite bands and remember going to see them live and yeah i don't know this record it's really good and the next year they did one called music des films imagine it's in french and this is really interesting this is very experimental because it's an imaginary soundtrack to an imaginary french film it's great yeah, I love and that it's idea. really it's really beautiful. It's a record you can kind of just put on and like clean your house to, or like ha- you know write to, or something because yeah. it's like really a it's like a movie soundtrack, and it's kind of an homage to his favorite filmmakers, French filmmakers of the fifties and sixties. So um, it's very film noir. It is, yeah, and it's ki- that's kind of another thing. You know, there's so many entry points to this band. You can be into different segments of pop culture and get into it. You know, it can be into film or whatever in 2017 they've they've released one in 2018 but um it's it's pretty good something else that's the name right yeah um it's, it's one of my good. favorite albums last really? year oh yeah, yeah yeah so 2017 though they released don't get lost and i think this is also one of my favorite records because it's a it's kind of crazy it's definitely a soundscape it's very heavily jazz and electronic influence it's very yeah. bass heavy and very uh i don't know i don't know the words to even describe this one yeah, that's it's a little out there. Yeah, but what's so cool about this is I remember when he put out like the first couple. He usually puts out like one or two singles, and he'll do it maybe on he he does like official releases, but he'll put something on YouTube. I remember when the song like or before this record came out, I had heard a couple songs and I was like, "This is really jazzy." I was also really getting into jazz at the time, and he did a uh, "What's in My Bag" video with Amoeba Records, which is like one of my favorite YouTube series. It's just so cool to see what, like, your favorite artists are into, you know? And it's always, like, throws you for a loop because there's country artists listening to, like, stuff you wouldn't think, you know, whatever, stuff you wouldn't even think of. And he picked out in that, like, the notable records I wrote down were Herbie Mann, John Coltrane, Roland Kirk, and Blonde Redhead. And that kind of, he was talking about that's what he was showing the people that were recording this record. He was, like, showing them those records in the studio. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how Herbie Mann, uh, he was like, whenever I want someone, no matter what instrument they're playing, guitar, drums, whenever I want them to play freely, I show them Herbie Mann's, like, flute playing. And he's like, that's just the best example of, like, playing freely, and that's what I want to bring into my music. And I was like, that's so cool, because he's bringing, like, classic stuff into his, like, psychedelic world. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. So that's kind of the general gist on releases there. What would you, if you were trying to get someone who, like, knows a couple songs from this band or whatever... If you were going to give them maybe three or four records to listen to to get into the band, what would you, what would you suggest? Yeah, I mean the, like my crash course BJM, like you want to say four records, or three? I don't know. Yeah, how however many you think. If you, if someone I mean, give it yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. Like classic. I feel like you can give that record to anyone, and and they'll be like, oh, that's cool. It is a good record. You know, because yeah. that's kind of a good, like, entry point. Yeah. Or Take It From The Man. Um, obviously, those are two just classics. Um, 
I'd say even methadrone. I'm, but I'm a huge like. I still like to think of methadrone as like the the first real album. Yeah, yeah. You same. know, I think that's a really good, like cool entry point. You know, if if your friends are more into the cure and like those kind of styles because yeah, it music. does like touch on goth too a little Absolutely. bit he definitely does touch on goth rock which i think is cool because he does it without being like 80s impressionist um so that's interesting yeah um give it back take it from the man and then i i would say revelation yeah revelation like, for sure because really you think. know it's it's more modern so it's got it's got that familiarity where to your ears more. Yeah. You know, where you're like, oh, this sounds just like a 90s album. Or, yeah. You know, yeah. sometimes, you know, it's harder to turn people on to something new that sounds like it's a little dated sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I think so. Because I think this is also a band, like you were saying, if your friends are into a certain type of music, you might give them a different record. But yeah. I, I, like, know people that are like, oh, I hate old music. And I don't like that statement because, like, that's just... Well, you know, I get it, but I, I like love old music and also like what is old? Like, you know, you could say 90s music's old. You could be listening to music from the 1920s. Well, 90s music now classic yeah. rock. Yeah. Yeah. You hear Nirvana on like the classic rock stations. But it, yeah, it kind of depends like what people are into. But Revelation is also, I think he's hit his stride having a home studio he built and was able to customize. He's a great producer and he produces other people's music. Yeah. He's been doing stuff with Tess Parks. They have two uh, like records they did together that he produced. And so Revelation really is maybe his like to me his best like production on a record because it's just it's a really perfect uh really perfect record i would definitely tell people to listen to that one give it back is a great record um because it it's really uh it's really expansive i guess because mm-hmm. you have like malayla and all that stuff which is very um very easterny mm-hmm. sounding and then um i really like the song "The Devil May Care, Mom and Dad Don't." Uh, oh, that's a fantastic. Yeah, there's a song. lot of good stuff that's very uh, accessible. On that, that song's one, really cool so. too, because if if you watch the movie Dig, there's actually footage of him doing the overdubs to that song. Oh yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that. Where yeah. he's doing the snare drum part. Yeah. So it's cool to kind of put a visual to the actual audio recording. Yeah, to how they it. made it. Mm-hmm. And Dig really is, I think you should also just watch that. I, I feel like it, that's a very cult classic. It, anyone who's into like music has kind of seen that movie by now. It's like free on YouTube, but it's like, not only is it kind of hilarious to just Oh, well, it's very biased. Uh, well, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause Courtney Taylor's making it. Um, he narrates it. Which, yeah, I guess we should, let's, like, get into Dig since we're already talking about it. Um, let's dig in. It's a, it's a really interesting to see on that, that he, uh, in one scene of that, which is what we were talking about when he's making that record, he, like, just came to Portland and, like, moves in with the Dandy Warhols. It's just like, hey, I'm here, I brought my equipment, we're gonna live with you guys and make music. But it's interesting because he's like, so... Hi, I'm Courtney. <laughs> I, I'm Courtney I'm gonna Taylor. move in. Um, and I'm going to document you. <laughs> and uh, it's really interesting how s- he may seem like silly and eccentric, but he takes the creation of his music so seriously. And he's like, I'm going to do this vocal take. And he just <laughs> does it. And then he's like, I'm going to play the drums now. And he just does it. The and artist is crazy. trying to work. Yeah. Um, 
And the way he talks in the movie is funny, too. There's one where he's like, I'm going to attempt to make a synthesized sound from this Radio Shack device. And then he's just, like, playing, like, all these crazy keys. It's just, it's really funny. But Dig is interesting. So the Dandy Warhols, when they signed to Capitol Records in 97, created a little uh, dissent between the two bands. Um, Well, it was really a... It was a... Okay, they were... They started out as friendly bands, but there was this kind of race as far For as sure. who was going to yeah. get signed first. Yeah, and who was like bigger, who was doing the who was going to get bigger, who was going to get signed first. Yeah, and Anton, being himself, was you know he thought that he would get signed first, and ironically, they got signed to a lot of smaller labels and dropped, whereas the Daddy yeah. Warhols got signed to like Warner. And blew up. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, as you look down the timeline, here's a band that's consistently putting out great material that has a more cult following. And then the Dandy Warhols are a band who who tours still, but, yeah. you know, they're riding <laughs> the coattails of, of, of those Brian albums. Massacre and the albums they did in the 90s. Exactly. Sure. And they had one hit that was... Um, like Bohemian Like You, like I still hear that at like, you know, bars that play like generic dad rock. Sure, and it's stuff, fun to you know? hear and it. It's, it's a good song, but they definitely like hit like the 90s rock stride and were like big in that. And then, totally. you know, now they just kind of tour whatever. Um, I so. have a hard time listening to a whole dandies record sometimes. Yeah, cause you, I mean, same. They're you're like, oh, yeah, one, yeah, I, I get it. I didn't want to sit there and take like, the time. All right, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, it was a competition, and I think. <laughs> You know, Anton probably wasn't the nicest to them, but also after, like, the fallout of them, like, not, you know, Anton by the mid-2000s was still putting out all this quality content, and the Danny Warhols were just, like, riding the coattails of those earlier records. Courtney Taylor made the, you know, he made the documentary to kind of, like, be like, this is the story of the Brian Jones song massacre or whatever, and their relationship was not good, and my favorite quote from, like, the whole movie is, like, they they got like a restraining order. Cordy Taylor got a restraining order against Anton, and they're sitting in the van. And he's like, "I don't want him at my shows. I don't want him at my house. I don't want him in my van. Don't want him in my green room. But I'm still gonna buy every record that guy puts out." And it's like <laughs> he's like yep. so crazy, and he's like, "Yeah." I just thought that was so funny. Like he he is such a great musician. Um, he may not be easy to work with, but like putting out great records and he still is in 2019 you know he's still like making music yeah there's crazy a new album coming out in march oh i didn't know that Uh uh-huh that's interesting it was supposed to actually come out last september and it's funny the like there was a article that was released today about it and (laughs) the reason that they said in the article that they didn't release this album last year in september was because Touring was going so well, they just ran out of time, which is great. But, yeah, yeah. And I'm, you know, that's probably true. They were killing it last yeah. year. They were. I saw them, I guess, in May. They came to Cannery, and that was yeah. so good. They just played. I think he was he was kind of sick during the set, so that might have been why he just, like, shut up, shut up and, like, played. But it was one of the best shows I went to last year because he just pl- they played all through for like two hours. Joel broke two tambourines during the show. Like, how do you play tambourine that aggressively? I don't know, but it was kind of funny. I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. But, like, um, that was such a good show. 
That was really wonderful. So they do tour a lot, quite a bit, still are. And apparently there's also a book coming out in 2019 about them called Keep Music Evil, the Brian Jonestown Massacre Story. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I only learned about that today. I'm honestly a little disappointed because I feel like there's, like, there's probably a few bands I would want to write a book about one day, and this is, like, one of them. But, you know, we'll see. I'll probably read that one, you know? Absolutely. I'd love to. So, yeah, Dig, you should watch Dig if you're trying to get into the band, whatever. It's really interesting and gives you an insight, and I think it just helped me, like, understand kind of their whole deal once I had already gotten into their music uh, with that with that documentary. Oh, and another thing about Dig is they put out, so one of the Brian Jones Song Massacre's most popular songs... Um, and it's kind of used as like a theme song or background song throughout the movie is Not If You Were the Last Dandy on Earth. And the Dandy Warhols put a song called Not If You Were the Last Junkie on Earth. And then Anton was like, I'm going to make a play on their song. And it's like, a, it's a better song to me. Like, I think it's a better song. So apparently there, when that song was released, Anton went to a Dandy Warhol show with singles he had pressed of that. <laughs> I don't know how many are out there. They're like 12 inch 45 singles and so side a is the song and then side b is like a 10 minute rant about why the dandy warhols suck (laughs) that's hilarious that's so good i didn't know that someday i hope to find one of these i would love to find that i I would love to find all the weird stuff like that out there there's some guy out there there's some like old hippie someone has to have where are you man if you're listening to this (laughs) contact us we want to listen to the rant to hear it um Yeah. And so I think, I guess it should just be said, like, they really do have a lasting influence. Like, there's some more obvious than others where you have bands like Moon Duo who are, like, directly doing what the Brian Jones Massacre did, but they have, like, a lot of, uh, people are doing, like, a lot of covers of their music or people have, like, become more experimental because of them. I remember... Well, and the uh, amount of bands that have come out of the BJM yeah, from yeah. as previous from members. the members, yeah, like which is Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Warlocks. Yeah. Um, so there's, uh, there's plenty of modern bands that eh, they probably had a brief period playing in the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Yeah, because there are so many members that have, you know, cycled in and out, um, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And one of the songs... I don't know if this song is popular just because it was, like, a single or, like, legitimately after David Bowie died it got popular, but there's a song he wrote called David Bowie, I've Loved You Since I Was Six, and it's a really good song. You should listen to it. It's uh, it's very, like, dreamy, and, like, Jessica Lee Mayfield did a cover of it, so mm-hmm. that's, like, a direct, like, national, you know, thing there, and I remember finding that, and, like, she's, I've n- mentioned this podcast before, she's, like, one of my favorites, and, uh... <laughs> that like that's so interesting to me but this band also got me into a lot of older stuff just because I didn't you know I I was like 18 when I got into this band I wasn't into like Krautrock and stuff like that and like this band got me into like Can and like Kraftwerk and stuff because he uh is very vocal about his love for you know these like German based like psych Krautrock bands and uh that's really cool because now I see the influence looking back, but it got me into this whole genre of psych through that and kind of the bands he pulls influence from. And I think it's cool because he has stuff that's more universal, like the Rolling Stones or Velvet Underground that he likes, but he also is into like Can and like all these weird bands that, uh, you know, I should probably do a podcast on. So um, that's really interesting too. How many times have you seen the Brian Jonestown Massacre? I've really only seen the, the Brian Jonestown Massacre 
I really only think I've seen them once. Yeah. Because I'm always out of town the yeah. other times yeah, they yeah. play. Yeah. But, you know, they're around. Yeah. Shows come, shows go. Yeah. And I feel like they're one, like, I could see them a bunch of times. Like, I've seen them twice, and they played totally different set lists both times. So, oh, yeah. And it's it's not only the fact that they're putting out so much new music, but it's like he could pull from any of these you know, almost two dozen record, you know, whatever that he's put out and just pull songs. So I don't know. I don't even know how he would even come up with a set list. That's just wild to me because he has so much material. Yeah. Um, so it's really fun to see them because I like I've seen songs I wanted to hear both times, but I'm like, I want to see them again. Just like see what I'll, what I'll play. Yeah. Oh, so another funny thing is uh, for fans of Gilmore Girls out there. So Joel... <laughs> Joel was a guest star on Gilmore Girls, and there was a whole subplot in a season of Gilmore Girls based on, like, the movie Dig. So when the band, like, he fired members on stage in this, like, infamous scene or whatever, and in uh, in Gilmore Girls, like, Rory's friend or whatever, Lane, I think that's her name, is in a band with her boyfriend, and Joel is the tambourine player in the band, and there's a scene in Gilmore Girls where they, like, break up on stage and like the guy is like being like Anton it's really funny because it you wouldn't Gosh. really notice if you're not a fan of, of yeah <laughs> if you're not a fan of the band but I remember binging Gilmore Girls with one of my roommates and I was like kind of into the show I was like whatever and then I saw that scene I was like that's hilarious like a lot of people probably watch the show and I have no idea oh, I know what I'm doing tonight yeah you have to watch that episode <laughs> you need to look it up um and then like in a later season I, I don't remember, maybe someone has twins or something, I think, in the season, and they're talking about how one of the twins is, like, really, uh, they don't get along or something, and Smiley's like, oh, he's the Dandy Warhols to her Brian Jonestown massacre, and it's, like, just a line, like, subtly slipped in there, and I'm like, I want to know what writer is a fan of this band that, like, wove this into this, like, you know, white girl TV show, like, the Brian Jonestown massacre subplot going on. That's just, like, hilarious to me, because it just, like, I was just watching it, and that came up. Um, <laughs> so that's, like, a funny thing. But, yeah, on the on the topic of, like, movies and TV, I looked up their IMBD, and they are, they are in, like, do- dozens and dozens of, like, TV shows and movies, just because they're so, I mean, their music would make for a good... Yeah, Straight Up and Down is in a show. Yeah, Straight Up and Down is a really good song. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know. Are there any, like, specific songs you want to highlight? Uh, Straight Up and Down is a great one. Straight Up and Down is a great one. That's classic. Um, That's a really good song. I really like the song Whatever Hippie Bitch. Uh, Uh Uh-huh. That's that's a very accessible, very psych, you know, song. I'd say Open Um, Heart Surgery. Oh, yeah. Open Heart Surgery is one of my favorites for sure. I think that's one of the first BJM songs I heard that really caught my ear. When I was in, it's funny because when I was in high school, my friend had burned me a CD of Brian Jonestown Massacre songs. It was like a mix, and I listened to it, but I I wasn't. It didn't like catch me. Yeah, maybe because it wasn't the right songs. Well, that's the thing about it. Yeah, I feel like I could show someone. And so I many I think ones. I have that mix somewhere, and I'll that's go back so and be like, oh, this is classic. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> I love a mix CD. Um, but yeah, open heart surgery really caught me with that that lonely spaghetti western guitar yeah. and that super kind of like heavily emotional vocal sound i think that was and, also one of the first songs i got into i remember taking like a road trip in a 
oh, when yeah. I first got into this. And I listened, I just listened to like the whole discography. I, I like, um, I was driving home from college my freshman year and it's like an eight hour drive. And I just listened to like every record by this band that was on Spotify. And I remember Open Heart Surgery being one of my favorites. And I like that you said Spaghetti Western because that song specifically does kind of have that like guitar sound but even on their most recent or the 2017 record let's get lost or whatever don't get lost don't get lost fact 67 is my favorite song on that record and it's almost like i was like listening to it on the way here actually because it came up and it does have that kind of like spaghetti western guitar but it's almost like if it was like a sci-fi like when i listen to that i'm like this is like a sci-fi western movie soundtrack (laughs) song it's like a it's a bump in the whip if there is one you know that's a good one i really like that girl suicide which is actually off their like first compilation wow there's just so many good ones i feel like i should definitely make a playlist for this podcast absolutely Um, because i also like want people you know like i feel like you could listen to like 20 songs and maybe only like a few of them but then from there you find five records oh yeah whatever so mary please um, i love that song oh yeah that's good that's a really good one yeah some of them are just yeah there's just so much so much good stuff yeah we'll make a playlist for you people yeah we will we will put it out there um it's gonna be 16 hours long (laughs) literally and (laughs) i've done that before i've like made like i feel like i kind of feel bad for anyone i've ever like dated or something because i'm always like you have to get in this band and i make a playlist and it ends up being like 30 something hours long and i'm like oh like there's no way you can listen all of that like i feel bad (laughs) um but i feel like i've turned a lot of people onto this band because like when they played in may i took like a bunch of friends and they they were like oh like whatever like I showed them like the most popular songs like the day before and they're like oh cool like we'll go and then when they saw them playing they were like oh I get it yeah. like I get what they're doing and yeah. I was like exactly like that's why I'm so obsessed with this band yeah which is so. why it's important to go out and see the show it really is with you, any band we talk about that's still active like it's so important you can you can do so much listening but but until you see them is, yeah. is when you re- they really get to put it out in front of you and you yeah. can you can understand it more. Yeah. And I feel like their them live is just so it's so expansive and it's like you just feel it. It just gives me like goosebumps. Oh, yeah. And like I love live There's music. Like six anyway. guitar players playing yeah. the same chord. Yeah. But it's huge. And it's just it is a huge sound. It's like you just <laughs> feel it and you're in the room and you're like, Oh, like this is why I love music. like I remember when I the first time I saw them live and I just went to the show alone. I was just like standing there all awkward and then like by the end of the show I was like just like, Oh, like this is why I love music. This is it. Like this is all i could ask for you know? oh yeah um so good you should see them live they do do quite a bit of touring like literally probably everywhere. Be back like, in the next couple of years europe or... canada nashville wherever mm-hmm. go see them i don't know i guess we covered i mean that's like what you need to know on a surface level basis like get into this band you know listen to those albums we'll make a playlist watch the movie is there anything else like personal anecdotes or anything else you want to like add to it I don't know. Um, I mean, we've we've talked about how obviously you know you you can hear someone talk about how how great and impactful a band is on someone, yeah. and and obviously you know this is one of those bands. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, to really understand the Brian Jonestown Massacre is also to to listen to the bands associated around it. I you think know, so, so for sure to even, give context. You know, to if what you're listening to this, too. yeah, and you know, a lot of people listening to this who don't know 
who the Brian Jonestown Massacre is, they might be a big Black Rebel Motorcycle Club fan. Yeah. You know, like, trace that back. Yeah, because I was into I was into Black Rebel Motorcycle Club like in high school because that was yeah. like you know people who listen to Black Keys and stuff when indie indie rock that blue indie blues rock was big I was like oh I love this band and that's totally. I think how I kind of got into this one exactly um so and lots you know of it entry all points it here. all builds on each other and you know and and I think it's especially cool that a band like this is existing and still creating in our lifetime it really is and even i before i came you know i was looking at the whole discography and i'm i'm looking at it like wow i've actually been alive during this whole progression yeah and yeah and as that band has grown i've i have grown with it and a new album comes out and i'll go buy it yeah you know and yeah. i'm i'm a fan for life yeah that's how I feel too because even though I didn't get into them until 2014 it's cool to me that this band I mean this band is almost the same age as me like they started exactly um, they started in the 90s when I was born so I obviously wasn't aware of it but it's cool to me that this band has like been around and they're still around and I get to listen to their music and see them live but I can still listen to their records from like 1996 when I was like you know a baby or whatever so it's like so cool to me i feel really i i'm like grateful for this band because they really uh kind of stretch my understanding of music um well and a lot of of what music could be or a lot of the modern psych bands would not exist oh yeah unless for sure, for sure. they had found the brian jones Temasker probably i mean how many how many psych bands do you go see you know and they're playing like a jangly guitar yeah. through a Fender amp, and yeah. they've got that sound. But yeah, they really do. You know, yeah. and whatever. You know, people <laughs> can say this and that, and but there, there's probably a little bit that might have come from that. I think that so. bit of inspiration. I think they really just planted seeds, not only in the San Fran scene, but just in like psychedelic in the indie sphere of music. Uh, yeah, in the today, modern music, in the scene. modern music scene mm-hmm. today for sure. Cool. So I guess I guess that's really it. Um, I didn't want to make this one too long because I want I really want people to just dig in the discography. That's the best way. Sure. Just like sit down with your friends and just go through go through all the records. They're great. Cool. So that is the Brian Jones Home Massacre. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening.